Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Oz Arshad. And I'm Marcus Thomas. And we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help bridge the gap. Helen Simmons is a beef for long-listed producer and writer who was named a Screen Star of Tomorrow in 2018. And as a producer, she runs Erebus Pictures and was a BFI Vision awardee in 2020. And recently produced the features Clock and Luda. And you've got upcoming features uh, Horde uh, featuring Joseph Quinn and Hayley Squires and also bonus track with Joss O'Connor, uh, Jack Davenport and Alison Sudor. As a writer, her debut short, Fuck, starring Emmy Award winner Brett Goldstein um, and Essa Smith, screen at multiple festivals. And you've also been featured in uh, Eye Features and four screenwriting and wrote episodes of the Audible show Dark Harbour. And also uh, a romantic comedy feature for Netflix Breakout Scheme. And you also <laughs> co-wrote the feature film Last Swim, which is being produced by Caviar. Most recently, you co-wrote and directed your own short starring Callie Cook, who's my friend, and uh, Lydia Rose Bewley. And you're developing multiple TV and film projects. Helen, when do you sleep? <laughs> um, a good question. I mean, I think when like when you read things out like that, it sounds like it's like lots happening at the same time. And some weeks it is, but some weeks it's like, you know how projects are and they can take years. No, that's fantastic, man. Congratulations. That's a brilliant CV there, man. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I think we're just going to get right into it because... Um, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter recently, so I think we felt even more pressure to get this episode out. So because of the the BFI network funding applications that are kind of happening at the moment, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the lack of producers in the UK. And there's a lot of uh, misinformation and mystery about what you guys do. So what we'd like to know is very simply, very basically, what is a producer? Firstly, to clarify that there are like lots of different types of producers, producers in film and TV, the labels kind of work differently and the roles work differently. But in the sort of simple sense of a film producer, um, they are the person that is leading the project through from start to finish. They are, sometimes they will come up with the idea or find the, the book or something to adapt and bring the writer on. Other times they will be approached with a script. They will be part of the decision-making process in terms of bringing the director on then working with them to cast the film they will raise the money they'll do all the business side of things um they will then shepherd the film into pre-production manage the team or the hods um be across everything through the shoot then through the edit then liaising with the financiers and the sales agents and at the same time being there for the director as they're pitch locking and finishing the film steering it through the post and delivering the film to whoever it needs to be delivered to, and then involved in the process of submitting to festivals and the release and the marketing. So you're like truly above the, like the project for the entire time. A bit of a shepherd, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to, well, you, I guess you're kind of finding that balance between like making sure that the intention of whatever the director is trying to do or what kind of drew you both to the story is is kind of being served throughout the, the tumultuous process of which is making films, right? Yeah. 
there are producers who, like an exec producer in film, it might just mean that they're an investor. It might mean that they're sort of advising, helping the producer or the director. But for the producer on the ground, you have to have your creative hat where you're supporting the director and it's about actually fighting for the vision and like creatively making the thing that you decided you want to make. Do you think, Helen, that there has to be a, a particular personality type for someone to be a, a producer? Or do you think that, you know, anybody can do it? There are different types of producers, personalities, but I think the reason why there aren't that many of us compared to maybe other roles is because it is such a specific and broad skill set. Like, mm. fundamentally, you've got to be a people person because you are dealing with so many different people and personalities and sometimes egos. And, you know, you're, you're trying to mediate between all of that and you're a shoulder to cry on and you're a mentor and you're all of those things where... So you've got to be good people, but then you've also got to be like comfortable with a lot of numbers and uh, business stuff and legal paperwork, you know, learning lingo and learning processes as you go, because they change depending on the type of film that you make. And then you also have to have the creative head because once you're building a company and you're building a brand, then people will come to you based on what your taste is. So then it's about like, how do you curate things? And, and it's tiring. And then at the end of it all, no one remembers. I think the word thankless definitely comes into it. Like, yeah, right, is it, writing and directing is hard and there isn't a pathway, but I think even harder is being a, he's trying to be a producer and coming up as a producer is... I just don't know how you do it because there's a short film, as a director or even as a writer of that, I'm going to get... If, if it goes somewhere, I'm going to get those flowers really. Where, you know, where the hell is the producer? And I think, I think producers are undervalued. They are, they are. And I feel like there's not, like... We don't really have the touchstones in in culture or like more you know public consciousness like everyone knows what a director is because they know who tarantino is or scorsese or whatever and they have like the image of often the guy obviously now hopefully that image is changing and people don't just assume it's always a guy but for a producer because it's such a behind the scenes and varied thing people don't have much to to understand it as and the only examples that we've had, you know, like we've had Harvey Weinstein at the worst possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, example of a producer, but like there's not that many people, even if I ask my mum, there's not many people that she would be able to say, but oh, they're a producer. I think that's probably, and then and I think that stuff does feed in a bit to then like how we elevate some roles to being more like, not magical's not the right word, but you know, the way in yeah, which. Yeah, they create a whole mythology it, around what a job yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> It's, that's what yeah. we find a lot with like directors like it's what kind of what we're trying to do is like it's such a practical <laughs> job and most people can do it they just because of this mythology it gets in the way of people actually learning what it is so they turn up yeah. thinking they need yeah, to be is. a certain way and it just creates toxic people for no reason yes um yeah it's very weird it's so weird it's really weird <laughs> um so yeah just to clarify so we've got like creative producers and line producers and like i guess exact producers is a whole other thing right I think this is way back when I was starting out and I was like asking for like a producer to get involved in a project. Um, and I was asked like, what kind of producer do you need? And I just didn't know. I had no idea. Especially because with this shorts conversation, like I think creative producing is a weird term. Like I don't think it really is a thing because I don't think you can be a producer producer without being creative because it's so fundamental to your role. So I think if people come into it and think, oh, I can just be the kind of producer who like looks at the script but does nothing else, that's not really realistic. It's That's a development job at a company. You know, that's where you do spend all day nurturing talent and reading scripts and giving notes, um, or it's a script editor or something. But in 
in reality, like you do, even if you're not, so a line producer doesn't, there's not, doesn't have to be a creative element to that. That is like, I mean, there is, but because you're always thinking about story and, and how do you use uh, restrictions you might have in the budget to like still be creative and stuff. But, but fundamentally that's about keeping on budget on schedule. Um, it is more of the practical side, but producing it's, there's always a business aspect and there's always a creative aspect. And then you might be stronger. You know, some producers are stronger at script development and they feel less comfortable with their budgets or whatever. So, but, but I think with shorts, because people don't understand how it works and because everyone's learning a lot of people, I think if they have, they've written and, and they want to direct or if there's a writer and a director, they think about the producer so last minute. They think about the producer when it comes to the funding application. And then they're like, oh, we just need to find a producer. And then that producer is then sort of coming in a bit too late and it's they're only thought of as being the person to like organize catering. Because chances are people have had the projects there already before the, the funding applications have been there. And it's only yeah. that's which spurred them to reach out to people, right? Yeah. Because our experience, mine and Mark's experience when we were in House of the Dragon was the producers that were called producers were different to actually what the execs were. Oh. I want to ask you, Helen, maybe that's just an American thing, but it felt like the producers on the t- on, t- on TV shows are doing more of like a line producer's yeah. job and they're attached to directors uh, in specific blocks. And then that producer, it's that producer's job to make sure that they're on budget. But actually in film, the producer is completely different. If you've, if you've got knowledge of that, could you just talk that for the benefit of our audience, please? Yeah, I mean, more broadly, it's that TV... The, the way that t- this is a general like generalization because you will have um let's say a big say you've got a big film production company one of the big ones that people have heard about the people that run that company who are who are in charge of like all the decisions they might not be sort of hands-on on the ground running that film they're probably not once they get to a certain level but they are still credited as the producers whereas in a tv show if you've got a similar big company um the people that run the company will more often be credited as the exec producers on the show and then they will hire producers when they're ready to go to come in and do the blocks like you say we'll do the whole thing if it's a shorter series so it's more so they're more involved in production as opposed to the ip and managing the overall delivery of that yeah so the producer on the tv show is not going to own they're not going to be owning anything they probably are not from that company they're being hired um to do that specific job and they will be doing creative things and i think a lot of them maybe don't get the credit for how much they are doing creatively and how much they are you know sitting in on that edit and making decisions but it is more of a like for hire setup and then obviously in tv as well especially with american shows there's all sorts of different producing credits there's like and, and it often is the writers too like a writer would be in a writer's room but they're credited as a consultant producer or supervising producer or whatever so it's like the credits are slightly different in TV and film. And if you've got a good agent, you get more money for those things, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess to go back to uh, when you should get involved in a project, I'm intrigued to know how you choose your projects and your people to work with. So for the in the beginning with shorts, it was, I mean, a lot of it was kind of, I didn't, you don't, you don't immediately have like a film network. So you're often just like trying to find 
anyone who might be interested in like doing what you want to do. And so sometimes that was being introduced randomly by a friend of a friend. There was one short I did where I knew the DP mm. and he knew the director and he brought me, he brought us together. There was another short where I'd met somebody who was in a development job and they were like involved with this short but couldn't run it and they asked if I would come in and run it. I guess I was maybe less picky. Not not to do those projects down, but it was more that in the beginning you were just like trying to find. Yeah. Yeah. These weren't. I don't even know if the BFI network. I do think it existed. I feel like now, the short landscape in this country is quite like structured by the scramble for the whatever the BFI network deadline is. Yeah. Just just and then in the opportunities that came up, like a a music video, and you know there was just it was just kind of trying to learn. What are kind of the do's and don'ts for approaching producers, I guess, because a lot of people do just reach out to producers cold. I've done it myself. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing. And I think that's where a lot of the frustrations comes from, partly because people don't know what you guys do. Um, but also when they do try, they might either be going about it in the wrong way or they might just get knocked back and it's you can't build anything cold. So Sometimes for directors, like especially on the short film land, it is an afterthought. <laughs> and in, in a way, I get it. It's it's pretty insulting for a producer. Like, I've got this script as a director, right? A director's going to be sick. I need this, that, and the other. Oh, to actually access 20 grand, I need to find this person to tick yeah. a box. Yeah. And, and, and I remember reading some of your, some, I think some of your replies uh, to, the, to that thread, because there was that thread from Abdul, who's actually a mate man about UK needs more producers, finding a producer is like trying to find Escobar. <laughs> And I could get the sense that it's like, well, it's a collaboration. It's more than that. It's not just a tick box exercise, you know? The director has like the creative responsibility and the producer has the legal, financial, you know, like there's 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 a lot of responsibility and it is very thankless. And so it it's it's then another blow if if you feel like an afterthought and you feel like that team doesn't actually respect what you're doing at all. So I can see why a lot of producers like well I'm not going to do your short for me now like it's going it, to I wouldn't really I might sometimes uh, exec a short um, if I really believe in that talent and like would like to work with them or just support them and get it through but realistically I'm not going to produce one because it's just only time Helen's just putting that out there so don't <laughs> anyone be <laughs> atting her asking them to produce your BFI short but, but like I think so. so for me it's a the things that annoy me is when I'll get emails from people I've never met and there'll be a kind of like assumption that their project is like nothing you've ever read before and that even though you're on, you know, sick feature or whatever, they will be the exception to the rule. And and it, in a kind of like, can you please read this by Monday? And they sent it on Friday evening. Do you know what oh, I mean? And you're like, yeah. what? Like, what? why would I do that? Whereas actually... If I'm if if you built a relationship up with somebody, be that you know through Twitter or through meeting them at events or through whenever, and they're like, look, I know you know, you may not have time, and you may not want to be interested, but would you read this? Sure. And if it's you know ten pages and I like them, then I'll be like, well, yeah, I'll have a read, and then I might stick my name in it. I think for people generally, it's about knowing what like not just cold emailing like 20 people with the same thing and not thinking about is it actually something that they like because there will be producers out there who have made it clear that maybe they're a comedy person or maybe they're into horror or you know so so you're actually tailoring the people you approach to the things that you know they like um thinking about what level they're at 
like obviously if there's a producer or a feature which is just one of after they're probably not gonna do your short you know it's like thinking about what's going to be helpful for everybody here like how are we are we on the same kind of journey and path can we help each other because these projects are about everybody learning and everybody gaining something and everybody like using it as a stepping stone you know between all of us i mean i don't know if you're in some of the filmmaking groups but i'm in quite a few and i know marcus you are as well because of this bfi application that's going on nationwide right now there are so many messages going in these groups looking for a producer looking for a producer for a bfi because like like you said if someone's emailing you can you can you read this by monday like, do you really want to be in the trenches with that person? No, that, 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 yeah. like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if they're just saying, can you read that by Monday? I've never heard from you before. It's like, well, do you care who that person is? It's just a placeholder for you then, isn't it? It could be anyone. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it, it is, and it's about relationships. And again, I think that's where, when you're learning and if you're in a rush to, to apply for something, I get it. And you're going to be each other's right-hand men. So it has, to, it has to be an actual functioning relationship and a sort of appreciation of, each other and was he be a good fit so it was and i know it's hard like somebody said to me the other day apparently there was like a writer's zoom about funding and stuff and there was like over 300 writers looking for producers for their shorts and it's i think the odds like it's not a good ratio so i get that and i get that it's like hard and it's it's, it's you're really lucky if you magically meet somebody um but that's where like going to those sort of events and getting to know people is helpful because the best relationships will come when you actually have had a connection before suddenly there's a deadline. So true, like the couple of producers that I know, like, like Marcus introduces me to one of them and whenever there's an application, because we've got a bit of a shorthand in a relationship, I can email that person or just reach out to them on WhatsApp, application in three days, should we do it? Yeah. It is so important and it takes a while to mature that relationship. So yeah, yeah. bang on. And, and the other couple of producers that I've worked with, it's the same as well. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you can't just, you can't just cold you reach out to someone or... You know, you got. It's, unfortunately, you got to get out there, right? You got a network. Yeah, we are. Got, we we do have a talent exec coming on uh, in the next seven days. If we're spending public money on something, they need to make sure that someone's gonna, you know, fiscally be responsible, right? Yeah, actually delivers yeah. a thing. Is <laughs> capable of yeah, delivering yeah. it. But it does almost be like, I just want to get my film made. It's a tip box, you know. I want to get it out there, like, and it's difficult as well because for a director, the only way we can show that we can do the work is by making. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like writing where you can stay in a room and write scripts and write scripts. Yeah, but it's the same for producers too. And like, mm. that's what I mean about finding like who's as hungry as you are and at the same stage as you are to do that thing. Because producers without credits under their belt are sort of just talking a lot, aren't they? Like it's you're not <laughs> until you've actually made made the thing that you could show people. You haven't produced it. So you both have the same same goals, really. Those sorts of rooms that go around that you, you literally just organise things and do spreadsheets um and find money but obviously yeah you're like an autonomous human being with thoughts feelings and taste and perspective right if you could tell us what's your sort of like decision making like when uh you're approached with a project and like also producers have slates right i'm not sure if everyone's aware of slates so if you could talk to us about what a slate is and like how you kind of look at projects based on what you have well so a slate is is just the the range of projects that a producer or production company has on their books, I guess, of the things that you've optioned or are developing. I suppose when, you, when you're starting out, that's going to be very small. But then as you make more and as you grow, you, you increase that. And it's, I suppose, the 
thing that matters is that when you as a producer are looking at that range of projects, you you don't want to have projects that are competing. So you wouldn't want two things which were entirely similar because they're just going to be chasing the same money and the same, you know, creative elements or cast or whatever. Um, and you, you want to try and have a relatively like broad range of things and maybe budget levels and um so sometimes when something comes to you it there can be those immediate and you and writers will experience this as well like in tv and stuff and you send stuff out and the response is we just have something really similar like and that is a genuine it's annoying and sometimes i'm sure people use it as an excuse but like it is it is a thing yeah sometimes it sounds like a bit of a that old chestnut <laughs> Yeah, but it but it is a thought because there's no point taking on two films with a very similar plotline because you're just you're cannibalizing yourself. You're not gonna one of them's gonna fail. Um, so yeah, and then in terms of what I would look for, I'm not really driven by like it being a specific genre. Although there are things that I'm not I'm not a fantasy person really or sort of I don't know action. There's a few buckets where it's not immediately my taste, but other than that, it's like broadly I'm quite open to anything either you'd have seen or read the work of a person and and you like it and so you're really intrigued to see what else they have what other ideas they have sometimes you'll just get sent a spec script I mean like one of my favorite scripts on there not that you have favorites because they're all your children and you love them equally but you know one like a really beautiful script that we're working on for a feature was written by two writers that completely knew and I didn't know anything about them and I just had a connection to the subject material that was in the log line, so I read it. It's rare that you'll immediately go, oh, this is incredible and I have to do it. Um, but there has been those occasions. Does it make you laugh? Does it make you feel something? Does it keep you hooked? You know, how quickly you read it, whether you read it in one sitting or not, that's quite telling. And then once you get past the sort of, do I really like it barometer, then it's, can I get it made and does it have an audience? Because um, another thing I think I learned after doing my first couple of features was, and, and like experiencing the financing landscape, it was like, you could love something, but actually if you don't have a way of getting it funded, then it's a waste of everyone's time. How do you actually do that? I'm asking this for myself, whether this relates to anybody or not. <laughs> you know, you said about like, is there an audience for it? Like, how do you even know that? Like, <laughs> Yeah, good question. Or is there an audience for it? Well, how the fuck do I know if there's an audience <laughs> for it? Did I know there was an audience for half the shit that I watch on TV? No. Because you create things from yourself as well, right? Like you, you're doing it because it's coming from you somewhere. So it's hard to anticipate what comes out is actually going to resonate with anyone. No, I mean, and it's and that's really annoying. Like with my writing hat on, sometimes you... Because uh, you'll see you'll see a show come out that is an unexpected hit, right? And then suddenly everyone's like, we want something like that. And you're like, <laughs> we, you didn't want that a year ago. And so the thing that you don't want now probably be a hit in a year and then you want it. So I, that that is really annoying. But you, I guess you just have a sense yourself. Of, or, or like, for instance, um, I'm saying this because I saw Evil Dead Rise last night, so it's in my head. But like, the horror, I'm a horror fan. So I will go and see every horror film that comes out. Pretty much because I like the genre, and because because I'm a fan, and there's and there's a big horror audience around the globe who are the same, and those films will do really well at the box office. Always tend to you know make decent profit, can be made quite cheaply. Don't need big name talent, and so a script like that, where you are taking risks in terms of a new director or like 
not being sure you could get big name cast, that's easier because it's less of a requirement and people are more willing to to take risks on on it as a genre. Whereas, for instance, a very sad drama with a newer director, then you're really counting on either getting the public funders to back it, and you know there's only so many films they can do every year, or getting a really big name cast so that you can fund it that way. Um, so it doesn't mean you wouldn't do it because those films have a smaller audience, so they make less money. So the funding is. Do you see what I mean? It's more like working back. You're trying to give yourself the best chance at it being successful. And doesn't mean you wouldn't do those films, but it's more like maybe you wouldn't do ten of them because they're hard. The very, very best ones that you feel passionately need to be in the world. What has your, been your favourite horror film of the last year? I've seen so many. I, <laughs> I do you know. It, I think it counts as the last year. It's probably Barbarian. Yes. That was yeah. exactly what was in my head. I thought that was so fucking incredible. Um, yeah. It just, it fucks with structure in a really interesting way as well, right? Yeah, because like you don't actually, you know, you don't need to be surprised when you watch horrors because that's not always where you go. But when you are, it's really nice. And <laughs> you're like, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that was good fun. And also to have, a, just to have an audience where everyone's like shrieking with like <laughs> confusion yeah, <it's> or <laughs> disgust. Yeah. There's nothing like it. You know, I thought, I thought you were saying there, you know, like uh, about the audience question and you're saying that, you know, you're a horror fan, so you go out and watch every horror. I guess then if there's if, if there's elements of familiarity, but obviously your take on it's going to be unfamiliar to the audience, I guess that is the audience, right? Yeah. Because Barbarian, albeit being, you know, it's familiar territory, we know that territory, but it is unfamiliar in how it's structured. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and how it is. So it's, it's, I guess it's a new take on something yeah. that, that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, I think that's always a plus. Like, if a script surprises mm. you, that's brilliant. Because mm. also you re- you're reading so much and you're watching so much that that's where I think it's important to, like, especially in the shorts, shorts world, it's like there's a, there's so many sort of um, tropes that you see time and time and time again, or like structures or whatever. So when you watch one and it does something different, you're like, oh my god. How do you kind of go about getting a project moving if you have none? Do you have any tips or for people who kind <laughs> of don't win the lottery of this BFI network funding and are kind of left on the sidelines, like? Do you have any tips for getting projects moving? The shorts, um, the features. Yeah, let's start for shorts, and then we'll we'll move on to features after. Okay, so I think it's hard because some of the funds that didn't exist don't exist anymore, and yeah, there's only so many slots that the BFI network have. I think sometimes it's like, like the short that I've made so far that's like you know actually gone out into the world that has had the most success and the cheapest it was um the one with brett goldstein mr smith which we made for less than two grand can you say that again please just for the audience's benefit that i'm trying to get 25 grand off bfi <laughs> less than two grand i mean it was it was in 20 end of 2017 i think we shot it well that two grand would have been worth more than than what it's worth now I cover the sandwiches now <laughs> get a meal deal um the the way that we plan, so me and the director, Danny, I don't know if we'd started to like do stuff together. We do a lot together. He wanted to direct, I wanted to write. Um, we both wanted, we knew what we wanted it as a short to do. It was to showcase both of our talents. We knew the space we wanted it to be in and we knew we had to do it in a day. Um, it had to be small. And so we kind of like, I'd had the vague idea, but, but we like wrote to the brief. And so it was like, it had to be under 10 pages. It had to be one location. Had to be two actors plus my son, who's baby at the time. 
So we kind of just we wrote it to be cheap. It was a tiny crew. We knew Brett and Esther. Like both like trying hadn't come out then, last one hadn't come out then. So they weren't both as like big as they are now, but we knew them which helped. Yeah, we just did it really cheap and we asked for favours for the music for a host and just accepted that there would be a slow timeline because it was people squeezing us in where they could. Yeah, that that was that's been more successful than some shorts I've worked on where the budget's been like twenty five grand. As a parent, like you know, like I remember watching it and I was like, "Man, I relate to that shit." <laughs> so it was a great. It, it was something that was super relatable to people who had had kids, regardless of age. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, based based on real life uh, uh, experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think with any film, there's like a million elements as to why it like it's popular when it is or why it takes off and. Yeah, I think we were really lucky that we had incredible actors who like, you know, committed to it. And but I mean, in terms of it, you can't get that twenty-five grand. Like, is there a story that you could shoot for two? Writing to what you have, writing to your resources. I mean, that's I took huge inspiration when I started out from people like the Duplass brothers in the states. And there was a um, there was a talk he did at South by Southwest years and years ago. And I remember someone sent me a YouTube clip. And I watched it and it's called like the, the cavalry is not coming. It's basically that at every stage of your career, you think, oh, once I've done this thing, mm. everything will be easy. And But it, it never happens. And it's like, there's all these stages and it's just constantly, there's just a new stage and you're just like working hard at something else. So I, and the way that they had made films, like they'd done shorts, you know, with a homemade home video camera or whatever. And like, so there was a bit of um, that kind of influence of like actually, and having been involved in shorts that were really expensive and they're not not going anywhere really. The budget's not what makes it. I mean, that's that's basically advice I give to people as well. I mean, like even two grand sounds like a lot of money for most. And I think if you do write something based on what you have around you, um, literally one location, minimal actors, you can kind of beg, borrow and steal. Don't steal, but you can kind of <laughs> somewhat <laughs> like put something together and do it in a day or like a day and a half or something. Um, because especially if you've got something which is slightly more ambitious, which you're working your way towards, say like if you if you have submitted and you've been told no, um, to have that there, that's not going to go anywhere and that's something to work towards. But what will happen is if you make something which is smaller, it can act as a stepping stone for people to to be like, okay, I I can now see what they're trying to do and then it might be worth taking a punt on this person with more resources because 100%. I think that's what funders are looking at, right? They, they, yeah. They're they seeing they can give you more more resources um, yeah. to do things in a stronger way. But it's more about story, character and performance, ultimately. And I think as well, like those doing those things, I feel really lucky. So before before I wrote that, and that was the thing I wrote that got me an agent. Before I wrote that, I'd obviously been producing stuff. So I'd been able to absorb and read and like, learn and watch some other people before I got to doing that. And I'd been able to be like, okay, what essentially that most shorts sort of have a, a punchline type structure, whether it's drama or comedy, like it's, it's got to build to a thing. And then, you know, so, so like learning all that stuff before I then did my own, I was really grateful. And similarly with directing, co-directing the short that I did, which is be a funny work one. I'm really grateful that I'd had even post doing that short, I'd had five years more of writing and working with other directors and seeing loads more material to then go to that feeling actually prepared and to know what I wanted it to be 
So I think if you're, if someone's coming straight out of university and they're like, I want to make a short as a director, I'd, I'd had 10 years on that of like watching other people. And so before you, before you do that bigger one, it probably is a good idea to try and do the, the thing in your house for nothing. And just, just to get a sense of like what you actually, what your voice is. Because the worst thing would be to make, come straight out the gate and make a really expensive one and it go completely tits up and then you can't get more money to do something else. I'm sure going to this one, I speak to the BFI exec. When, when I thought that I needed funding to make my short was not actually when I needed funding to make my short. I had to actually go and do something else first. Um, yeah. And it all worked yeah. out in the best possible way. Um, so yeah, I guess um, it actually just, even, this is more for me actually and probably for us. Uh, how do you get features made? Because <laughs> that's where I am. Uh, <laughs> the million dollar question. Yeah. Okay, so I think, right, you, you it's, firstly, it's really hard. It's hard every time. It's, I mean, it gets easier because you know more people and people trust you, but like it's it's still always really, really hard. And um, it seems like the theatrical landscape landscape is kind of like coming back to life, which is really nice. And But it's still it's still difficult to, you know, if you look at the box office stats every week, which I do, um, you, you know, it's, st- it's still hard to get like a indie anywhere in that top 10. So it's, st- it's, it's, it's a hard landscape. But in terms of getting it made, so... You start with your idea and you have your script. My philosophy is that there's always like five different versions of that script that you could make. You know, there's the no budget version. There's the, and this is excluding films, say, where there's like sharks, VFX, whatever. But like, you've got your no budget version, you've got your lower budget version, you've got a medium version, you've got a really expensive version. And the thing that decides which of those it will be is what's the profile of your director? And how keen are various investors to work with them? What cast can you get? Because cast determines the value of the film. And what genre is it? When you have the project and the script, you're deciding where it sits in terms of budget. And there's a lot of chicken and egg because a lot of people will be like, we love the script, we need to know who's in it. And then the cast will be like, we like the script, but who's financing it? And you know, you've, you've, you've got to do a dance for a really long time. And I think directors can find it really frustrating how slow that can sometimes be. But it's just, just is that way. Sometimes, sometimes it can happen miraculously fast. Other times it can take absolutely ages. There's so many elements to financing it. You said a, a small thing that you, you glazed over, but I just want to ask you, why do you look at the box office figures every week? Because um, I do like numbers and spreadsheets. And <laughs> whenever I make decisions about anything, I, I just data gather a bit and then like do it so like when I first started producing I just like researched every producer I could possibly ever find their Wikipedia page and looked at how they made a career that's my like how I work but with the box office stats again it's like just to know what you're talking about like they come out on the BFI you can see the BFI website and you can look at the spreadsheet and you could see okay so I found it interesting for instance how uh the grey pound and the vertical uh films which I love watching, you know, the kind of like best exotic marigolds or like... There's one out right now with, uh, what's he called in it? Unlikely Pilgrimage, one. yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, those films obviously during the COVID kind of died to death because everyone was like, nobody over 50 is going to go to the cinema. Mm. And and they had been a big cinema growing audience. Mm. And so people stopped mm. developing them. But then as COVID has become more in the rearview mirror, um, people are going back to the cinema and the box office changing and actually a lot of the british films that have done really well that aren't studio films or genre 
have been those films again. So it's like interesting. You can when you look at those statues, you can be like, oh, okay, those those are making consistently at least six to ten mil at the box office. Wow, is that a place that we should develop? Or okay, even the small horrors are making X amount. Or like looking at a film like An After Sun and saying, okay, this is this is what financially the biggest success of however many years in terms of British debuts. That's what that means on paper. Mm. And knowing just just knowing the levels, and then looking at how other smaller films actually what are they making? Sometimes it can be depressingly tiny, but just I guess I just quite like to know know that stuff, and I think it's a good yeah. Is, is it about numbers? No, I there's a lot of like any like it's a business right, and you're making a product, so on that level it's about numbers, but also most people that work in this industry. It's not about numbers. It's about creativity and it's about the love of cinema mm. or TV. It's it's about the love of the art. Mm. And so I, I think like most most people are not just numbers people. But there are obviously a lot of people that are numbers people. And there's a lot of, with streamers and stuff, a lot of that is about numbers in terms of who clicks on this thing and like subscribers. And so it's, it's a balance between the two. But I just quite like to, you know, I'm on Letterboxd. As much, you know, reading reviews and thinking about the like creative reception of everything as much as I am looking at this box office stuff. But it's it's just fascinating, I think. I know that you just said it's not about the film's success is not measured on numbers, but obviously it is a business. Yeah. But then the the other conflicting advice from sort of like veteran directors and veteran creatives is that we'll let people fail because that's how you get better and that's how you do so. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think people have to be allowed to fail. Like, like I think it's that. You, you see it often, like the, especially you know, the directors that come out of the gate with an amazing debut, and then people are a bit more lukewarm about the second one, the third one. But then often the fourth one's fantastic. Like it's, I think it's, you should be allowed to fail. And I think specifically female directors should be allowed to fail because I think that has historically been a kind of, oh, if mm. your first and second films are not absolutely hugely successful, then we're not going to give you another. So, yes, I, th- I think it's important. There's been a, quite a lot of chat recently with the, the, the talk about how basically it seems like there's a move towards a lot of places like H24 or whatever, just giving loads of money to directors who have done well in their last film to just say, make whatever you want, which is really cool. I think, I think that's really exciting. Mm. Obviously internally distributors, production companies and studios have to do their own numbers on like some, something might not do incredibly at the box office, but might culturally feel really significant and a huge talking point and be an amazing film that becomes a cult hit there's different measurements of how a film is successful ariasta is a brand now and the daniels are a brand do you think do you think as a producer with your producer hat on directors need to start thinking about themselves as a brand because daniels will get whatever they want for their next one because they're the daniels now i think it depends on the type of director that you want to be because because I think writers, like writers and producers, do do make a brand to a degree, but it can be much more broad. Whereas I think, um, like it is, it is harder. There's more pressure on directors because you do one thing, and then people are like, "Oh, that's their thing." Mm. And you, the other side of the coin, a producer's not getting any glory. If a film isn't brilliant, and then the producer doesn't really get any, you know, blame either. Whereas if you're the director and a film isn't good or perceived as good, it's it is much harder to make more. A lot of those film directors, I think, have been really canny. Like, even if you look at Ari Aster's shorts, they're totally in line with what he then went on to make. Yeah. So he's sort of setting out his voice and his thing 
quite early on. But yeah, like that he's created a brand and most most directors that you could probably like name have a sort of brand. But then there's also loads. Which is their voice, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But then equally you look back and it's like, I don't know, like a Yorgos Lantmos or um Ruben Osland. Actually, if you look at their IMDB, like they've made things that you've never heard of, which are probably maybe not in keeping with that brand, and they were just finding their voice. And there's a there's a more common path now for directors to make shorts and then go and direct some TV, gain experience through TV, then go and make their own um, film or like the show that they show run or something. So and that doesn't harm anyone. I mean, like Mark, is it Mark Mylod who directed Lot Succession and then did the menu? He is a, a really good kind of case study because I mean I remember I had this to you Marcus when we because we, we had we, we had someone who was his assistant on one of the episodes my man had done fucking royal family yeah yeah which is great I'd heard of him from Game of Thrones but I didn't and then when you look back he's like shit he's done like big like British comedy that's all in our you know when we were growing up watching mm, mm. and now he's done Succession and and and, and the menu is it's a mad pathway but I think people only sort of follow the the exceptions, so I guess, like the people like Robert Eggers and Ariasta and and these sorts of people and Tarantino, people who come out and like as as these sort of like brands, as you say, and think Disruptors. that's exactly what yeah. all directors are, and it's kind of not the landscape. Those are like the exceptions to the hundreds, thousands of other directors that are out there working and mm. surviving. And also, it's your like it's it's I think one thing that's so integral to directing is. Just a self-belief and a confidence that not everybody just has straight out the gate at 21. Like, I think it yeah. takes takes time for people to develop that and to, like, even feel confident that their voice is worth listening to. So I feel like it takes people different lengths of time to get to the point where they'd be able to say, oh, no, this is me, this is my brand, because it's, it's, it's there's so much around that that I think we don't even know how to talk about, but it's like, where has that innate confidence come from? It's not. It's not something that everyone has, and it takes time to develop. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like the people that we've named that they're just like very unafraid of leaning into themselves and putting that out, and it's just clear. Like I don't think Ariasta ever ever set out to to create the Ariasta brand. It just seems to have no, occurred yeah. naturally, like like everyone else. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah. So uh, moving on from that, uh, you touched on uh, attaching cast. I assume that's more. Is it is it as helpful to shorts as it is to features? And also, when do you look about trying to do that and getting things financed? I don't think having um like a big name in a short is necessarily that helpful. I think from what I've just observed, this is purely anecdotal. I think it could go both ways. Like some festivals might watch it and be more in, into it because there's someone they recognise in it, but others would be a bit more like like oh I don't care and just you know. <laughs> deliberately overlook that is it not a case of as well sort of like if you forget the audience for now when you've got a named actor in a, in a show that for the director you'll be like okay they can handle someone of that stature yeah, they can direct that person you know like back in the day when Sam Mendes had directed Judy Dench on stage at 25 that was like whoa yeah yeah like he's, he's, he's... do you think that's a thing as well for people to show I think what is really important and what I'm realising um, especially as I work with more and more amazing directors so, so like the directors that I work with the two features I did last year, for instance, they're both phenomenal and they have very different styles. But what they both share, I don't even know how you describe it, but like just actors love them and they really have, they just build really good connections with their cast so that their cast trust them fully. And that in turn brings out brilliant performances and brings out a desire for then, you know, then the agents talk and then their other clients want to do their next film. And like, you know, there's, 
So that that being able to work with actors and actors liking you and that is really important. I think in a short, what's important is that you can actually get really good performances. And I think sometimes where shorts fall short is that the acting's not up to scratch. And like it's it's not if if the acting's not good, then you know a huge a huge chunk of directing is the script being good and the actors being good. And if you can't get those performances because the cast is just not right, then that will reflect on you. So I don't think it's about it being a, a name necessarily, but going after people where you actually know that they're really talented and they can, but that you're not too intimidated by, because also that would be terrible. You don't want to like have this um, huge actor that you're actually too scared to give direction to. The, obviously the producer's job to go reach out to them. Obviously sometimes the director might have a pre um, established relationship with that individual and bring them onto a feature. What what kind of techniques and, and kind of like avenues do you sort of like explore when you're trying to get a person attached? Obviously, because it is a business thing as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the things that I've done, just thinking of examples recently, so like with Fuck, that was, we, we both knew the actors, so we could just ask them and then could bring the agents in later. Um, with the short that I just did, Ram- randomly, the lead actress, well, Callie, Callie got in touch with me on Twitter because she'd seen Fuck and she liked it and was like, we should work together on something. And then it was the right time where I was like, oh my gosh, she'd be perfect for the part of me and my co-director. I talked about it and I'm like, absolutely. And so then... What a little hustler. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like really, um, it, it felt like sort of divine intervention because it was literally the time. And then I was, I, I'd seen her in Cheetahs and I was like, oh my God, I love her. So anyway, and there was like stuff like that with the other two actors that we had in that short, that was through their agents. And we just like met them, had a Zoom with them and got on with them. Uh, with features, the the last one, the last one I did, it was a combination of some of the cast knew the director. Um, and so they were like really keen to do it because of that. And then others, it was just simply the casting director going to the agent, sending the script and us trying to, you know, sell it as an exciting project. And they actually really liked it. The film before that, I think everybody was, there was a lot of like tapes, audition tapes, some of the parts, and then again, casting director offers. So it's having a personal relationship with somebody obviously helps, but it's also not a given that they will do it. Like there's actors that I've become friends with and I say, oh, could you come and do a couple of days in this thing? And they'll be like, mm, it's not for me. Like it, you, they could still be honest with you with your friends. Um, and sometimes agents will put people forward. So if you're doing film and you've got uh, one of their clients in it, they might say, have you thought about this actor for this part? That happens a lot. And the agent thing is always like, it's it's hard when you're starting out because they don't know you. And there is a bit of trust there again, in like, especially if you're going for in-demand actor. So that's their relationships that you have to build up over time and not take personally if they don't. Which I guess is uh, difficult when everything means so much <laughs> to, to the people trying to like make the project. Helen, we've had so many questions to ask you, right? Oh, really? You, you could do quick fire. I mean, they're not quick fire answers, but you might want to do them quick fire. There's yeah, about... I, could do, I can do condensed answers. Let's go. Uh, I'm just going to read these as they are. Are producers interested in creatively collaborating with directors on projects? I come from a theatre background and generally at the big theatres, the producer isn't usually that involved in creative development. But I found in, some, uh, I found in film, some producers are interested in creative collaboration. I don't know anything about theatre. So I can't answer on that, but in film, absolutely they do. Yeah, every time. Cool. If a producer isn't interested in a pitch of yours, should you pitch again or assume that your voice doesn't chime with them? 
pitch a different idea. A different idea, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think if if they'd said they like your writing and um, this idea is just not for them, then there's no reason why you wouldn't send it again. If they come back and they're like, I don't know, really mean about your writing, then maybe don't go back. But, but I think generally, like, yeah, there's no reason why I try not to try again because it often is just about the idea. You shouldn't really want to work with someone who's going to slag you and no, work exactly. off. And just... <laughs> okay, um, this might be a bit long-winded one, but you can, however you want to summarise it. What is the producer's journey, sorry, what is the producer's journey with, for example, across a short film, in brackets, recently a producer started talking to me about release strategy. I didn't have a clue of what they were on about. Producer's <laughs> um, journey. Well, I mean, they, they join the project, they develop the script to the point where everyone's happy, they cast it with you, they pull the finance together, then they the plat they bring the HODs on, you schedule it, you bring all of the elements together, um, practically and creatively. Uh you manage the shoot, then you manage the edit and post, and then you think about yeah, I suppose for a short release strategy is which festivals are you gonna to submit to, costing that up and having a, a timeline. Um then thinking about uh, whether you do an online, like a short of the week or a Vimeo or something release. And there are also short distributors out there these days. So whether you try and do that as well or any screenings, like, you know, hiring a cinema and that kind of thing. So typically so you'll kind of be involved from like a director being like, this is the sort of thing I'm looking to do an early sort of stage creatively. Yeah, same same as future. It's, it should be start to finish. But, a pre, you know, understanding that on a short, probably the script will be further down for you, really. So in terms of finance strategy on a project, how can the director support the producer? Um, bring them chocolate when it's all very horrible <laughs> and stressful. No, um, uh, I mean, any relationships that they have, like, obviously, that's helpful. And, and doing their best to pull together the most, you know, exciting pitches and pitching well if there's calls. But it's kind of not that much a direct can do to be honest at that point um the producer just has to get out there and get people to read it and engage and then and then there might be like pitch pitch calls or meetings um i am a writer actor but because i don't want permission i'm now becoming the producer as well because i don't want to wait for permission is there any advice that you can give me to start out reaching out to other people any tips anywhere i can go to to learn i think with these because it's inevitable that in shorts you sort of you might end up producing out of necessity. Um, but it is a tricky one because there is, like, a lot of finances are not necessarily comfortable with multi-hyphenates um, generally, but also, like, on the same project, you being wearing all those hats, they might find tricky. So it's a slightly different producing experience, I would say. Um, but in terms of learning... I think this is what's really hard is there's not that many places to learn how to produce. Um, I know there uh, maybe there will be some new schemes coming out. I don't know what new plan is this year, but it's, I'm trying to think how, I, I think you have to sort of meet people and ask questions and try and find mentors, you know, read as much as you can online. And there are, I think there are books out there like the Rockcliffe, how to make a low budget feature book and things like that. Um, how else it's, it is hard to learn it's sort of it is kind of one of those jobs that you learn while doing but finding people that you can talk to like at every step of the way there's always been people that I've been able to go to and say oh please could you explain how to do this or please could you send me a template for this or 
like those those that chain of like advice and mentorship is really important i think cool this one is a an interesting one so the question is 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 there anything as an upcoming producer who is tied to a short that blows up and with runaway success, the director gets their flowers, but then the producer doesn't? And if it gets picked up and goes further, I get replaced. Is there anything that I could protect myself uh, before something like that can happen? It's really hard. I've, I've seen it happen to friends repeatedly where they've produced a short that does all the things you'd want the short to do. And then the director goes off and makes the film with someone else. There's not, there's nothing like, there's not really anything you can sort of legally do to tie yourself to the director. It, so it, it has to be about, can your relationship be strong enough that they want to take you with them? And and then I think you, you, you should argue, in the you know, again, if the relationship warrants it, you don't, you don't want finances coming in and being like, oh, we don't think you should work with this producer, they're not experienced enough. Um, I think you should argue your case in those scenarios very, very strongly. And I know that there have been times when maybe finances have thought the producer's not experienced enough so they partner them up with someone who's a bit more experienced and that can be really fruitful um but there is no easy answer and it's really frustrating because I see it happen all the time and it's again it's like where I, I felt personally and I don't know if it's true or not but I, I felt like as a producer I didn't get taken seriously until I'd made features whereas I think for writers and directors shorts are enough um, which is really sad, but I, I, I did feel that. And so it's about strategizing for yourself as a person and a company, not just as a sort of attachment to the director. If you've brought a producer on, then let it go under their production company. If it goes somewhere, they're not going to get anything necessarily out of it. It's going to come to you. And I think that that's something that directors should allow that to happen. Yeah. 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 For sure. But I mean, in terms of the feature, it depends like, you might have, you could have paper. I'm going on the short, yeah. Yeah, but like with the shorts, you could have paperwork where it says that the short is owned by the production company. And so therefore, technically, it's you that owns any adapt adaptation for a feature. So there's those kind of things. Um, but it is hard and, and it's such a relationship-driven industry. Um, and people will always probably try and, hustle you out if you're the least powerful least experienced person in the room mm. so that's what the, you do need to advocate for yourself and like because you you have so much value as a producer but i think you don't feel that you have it because of all the stuff we've discussed about it not being recognized as mm. important or creative or whatever and i think that can beat people down but actually it is a really valuable role there's not that many of us out there and no. if you can sort of harness that power to like be, get stuff going and be seen as something to get stuff going then it's easier people to want to keep working with me but it's it's it is hard and i'm not sure what the answer is in terms of that transition and it's a big issue that we've seen time time again mm. you'll put you're, yeah you're trusting the director a lot i guess um another one we've got is what creative decisions is a producer able to make and how do they interact with slash override which i think is tricky uh slash yeah, make is. way for the creative decisions of a director Hopefully you work in harmony and you agree on everything. But um, I think the best thing about the relationship is to push full, right? Because you, whether you feel it in the moment or not, as a director, you do want someone to challenge you. And so so that's what should should be. You're both working together to make it the best version it can be. But on a, like a paperwork level, until you're quite a big director, 
almost always it's the producers or the financiers who have the final say on things. So, you know, contractually it will say that you have making mutual approval over hiring X or, you know, like there's bits where it'll be mutual, there's bits where it'll be discussions. Is that for TV and film, Helen? Uh, TV, I think it's probably even less controlled to the director because it's a, it's a slightly different hierarchy in TV. Um, so in, in film, the director is sort of still king, I think. They're like Things like Final Cut, for instance, directors would only get that when they're very, very established in their career. It's always going to... There's a lot of things that actually always come down to the producer or financier. But in practice, it's it's rare that those things are actually like the overriding is put into practice. So it's sort of, yeah, most of the time you want, you want the director to make the film they want to make. That's why you do it. Cool. So um, when approaching a producer independently, what information about the project is useful to have prepared? Depends what it is. I mean, I think realistically you want to be coming to them at an earlyish stage. So it should really only be, this is the script or this is the idea. Um, and this is what I've done in my career. And here's some examples or links or whatever. You, or, or you know, ma- amazing if you've got financing or if you've got interest or something somewhere. But probably more is quite off-putting for most producers if you get any more and it's like, this is the script, it's finished, it's perfect. Um, we've cast five actors and you know, like all of the decisions have been made, but can you just go and find the money? Like that's not very appealing. And then we've got, what are producers' relationships with writers like? I haven't written, I haven't written, I have, but I haven't written anything for theatre or film, uh, prose or poetry so far only, uh, but I don't understand how that relationship works. It's a really close relationship. It often is the first thing before the director comes on, mm. especially in TV, but in film often as well. Um, so it's, yeah, it's written, you're collaborating all the time, you're having notes calls, you're doing written notes, you're meeting up to chat about the direction of the project um you might go and it's it, like i depending on the project and how you get on with the writer but like there's a project we're doing which is a feature an adaptation book and the writer and i will sometimes go and see like a show or a art exhibition that like relates to the project and might feed in um and then some writers very much want to just go away and like do their thing and come back to you with a draft Others might want to talk to you about it every week or every other week and you might have a phone call just to see. It's, it really varies on how the writer wants to work, but it's it's a close relationship, sure. Um, and I think the only time when it, it, it then shifts, if it's a different director to the writer, as you get to production, it shifts a bit more. And the producer's focus is more on the director because you're putting it together. Cool. And this is kind of like the, the last one from the questions that we had, because uh, some of them were similar. Um it's obviously very difficult for, and you and you you probably seen. I think I think you might have been involved in some of the articles about how difficult it is for indie film producers to, um, you know, keep a day job and 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 keep going with that. So I guess this is from. I guess it must be from another producer who's reasonably established. Like, what what can what can a producer be doing to work towards giving up their day job? Like, you know, what 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 is the strategy? Like, is there a strategy? What kind of things do they need to be doing? Yeah, I think you do have to have a uh, strategy. Um, at the start, I mean, like doing shorts, that is just not, that's not practical because you're not going to make any money. So it has that has to be a side thing. Once you get into features, I think even, depends on the type of film you do first. Like I did a very 
low budget feature first and then a slightly bigger feature and actually just to get the second feature away I basically gave up a lot of my fee because that that was before so I did the round table producer round table thing with Lauren and Sophie and we did all that research and after that hopefully I I haven't heard any horror stories, but it sort of did give a bit of a shift. And just for clarity, what what was that you did that you did with Lauren and Sophie? Just for the benefit of the audience, because they won't know it. Oh yeah, sorry. So we did it. I, can't remember, I think it was just before the pandemic, but a big collective of us. It was like fifty to hundred producers involved. We'd have meetups and email chains, and we we did a big survey and just got lots of information about how much people were earning, like their backgrounds, um, their struggles, the things that they liked, the things that might force them to quit. And off the back of the research, we made some guidelines that were for uh, feature feature films. And okay, and the the main thing about it was that there should be a floor to what the um, producer's fee is, and that producers shouldn't be asked to defer their fees because that was happening all the time. That the budget was getting tight, and then just before the film went, the finance would be like, "Oh, you need to hold back your fee or like remove your fee." And you're at that point then where it's all, again, that's that like that weight of responsibility of if you say no to that, then the film collapses. So people were sort of being forced into these positions. Um, so that research was really interesting. And then there was a sort of a similar group uh, followed suit in the US and did their own kind of thing. So it sort of, it, it changed a bit, hopefully, in terms of people feeling like they had a collective to back them up to say, no, I need to be paid. It must have been disheartening though when you when it started to sort of like some of the data started coming through and you started to kind of like read some of the patterns and whatnot. It must have been a bit disheartening because yeah. so it was like seven you make like seven grand a year or something on average. So or fucking hell, why would you even bother? How do you survive? <laughs> well, because this is it. You have to. I think you basically have to become really good at cash flowing, like your life and your business, and thinking about because produce so in development, writers obviously get paid. If you get development money from somewhere, writers get the bulk of that because they're writing the script. But the production overhead is tiny. It's not it's, it's barely enough to kind of sustain a company for a, any length of time, let alone pay yourself. So all of that development that you're doing is unpaid. And then you only get the payout when the film goes into production. So that production fee has to be, has to cover the production company or the producers for a lot longer than the actual process of the film. And then obviously there's the idea that you might get some money at the end, but that very rarely happens, like the waterfall. Yeah, it, you, it, it's it's hard to cash flow, and you have to be um, thinking about your production schedules and what's realistic about what shoots when and what money's going to come in. Being hard about keeping the fees at the level they should be, um, and then there were like we got the vision award, which was amazing for us because that meant we actually had development money, and then you know produce stones from that to maybe get other types of overhead deals um with film or tv companies so there's there's lots of ways to do it but it's really hard and it's really slow and most producers i know until you get to a certain point where you can get those deals it's you know they might also work as line producers alongside doing their own projects they might um do script reading or do part-time development stuff or any number of kind of other jobs. And I think for me, the writing element was actually what made it all sustainable because you get paid better as a writer and more frequently. Um, so then bringing that, so bringing that, all, all of that, because that, that, that's really great to explain the research. 
back to the, back to the question then with all, we're taking all of that into account then what do you think the strategy should be then for producers what do you think they should be doing you need to be thinking you need to sort of be thinking in chunks of years and where you want to get to and it depends what your day job is like when i started out my day job was not in film it was like nannying tutoring and stuff so you um you have to figure out what works for you are you going to have a job there's a lot of producers who maybe have full-time in-house development jobs and then they make shorts and maybe they'll make the leap to features or if you're lucky enough that your debut feature is a, a decent budget you could jump onto that and then just make sure that you're lining the films up after but it is hard and you have to you have to be seriously like proactive and actually getting things into production because that's the way that you get properly paid and sometimes and that's what i mean about like the varied and broad slate and like how commercial is your project and like because if you do just focus on debut dramas at 1.5 million that you could get into production every three years that's not that's not sustainable so you have and, yeah. yeah, and you, you, you've got two babies as well and like you know just like really working out your cash flow and everything must be you must be off to have to be on that yeah 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 and you just you have to you have to focus on and you can't you basically can't let your career like just happen to you i think i think you have to try and wrangle it in submission and somehow like make a plan and then have a plan b and like what are your different options and what are your other skill sets and like you know i know it's not that common to be a writer producer but like for me that's that that's how it became sustainable at that point and i think it's also about looking at like we had a lot of chat about this in the um, producers roundtable, but like comparing yourself to other people can be quite detrimental to how successful you feel you're doing. So like when I started out, there would be a lot of people that um, I was working with who I only discovered later, like didn't have to pay rent or didn't have to while you were trying to do it. Um, and, and like I since you know i'm mean, going to talk about this openly but it's like quite a sort of I suppose, personal thing but like you know in terms of me getting married like my partner has more money than i do like you know in the family sense it's like that changed my stress levels too because we were a unit that had more resources than before when i was on my own and i was you know paying stupid rent for a tiny boxer or whatever so it's like I think it's but at, but at that time I I would be looking at people who seemed to just only be doing their art and thinking oh god they must be being paid really well for that and I I'm not without without and and then suddenly you're like oh that's because it's their their dad's flat or whatever you know like so I think it's about thinking not not comparing yourself because there is a, a prevalence of people that are privately educated or who have family in the industry or who are very wealthy and all of those things not comparing yourself in that sense um and doing what works for you and being realistic about your cash flow and thinking what are your other skill sets that will enable you to do the things you want to do and and not not beating yourself up if it's slow because it is slow and i started i started producing features super young and so even though I'm young now and getting 
features made is only because I've had actually quite a long run time because I started young. And actually, if I'd, like, I'm really glad that I had the sort of balls at 23 or whatever to do that first film because I then had a baby the next year and maybe I would have never not had, not had the balls <laughs> at that point. But I was already on the train. So it's like, it's hard. There's no one answer because everyone has different um, skill set and different ambitions, but... If you look at the, if you look but if you look at you know the Helen Simmons story on paper before and you look at the industry, you'd be like, there's no way you'd be at this point right now. It's just that the odds just seem on paper to be stacked against you to have gone through that and you had to start young and had to do that. And I guess that's what the research that you, Sophie and Helen have done kind of highlighted that, right? I think it's that analogy of, you know, for working class directors that there might be a Steve McQueen working at Sports Direct and the scary thing is that 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 they might always work in sports direct. Yeah, and I think also, like, that's the responsibility that I feel as a producer for people that I work with. It's, like, making sure that they don't have to, like, go back to the, the job in the place shop or whatever and in between because of whatever reasons and, like, trying to put that as well onto finances to pay promptly or to, or to mm. pay decent fees and to not... Uh, hold projects up unnecessarily because actually there's real life consequences for people um, and I think it's what I hope like as a generation what all starts to do is be a bit more thoughtful to that and then when we get to a position of privilege we can like pay it forward or back or whatever way and like try and rather than just be like oh I'm good see you later like I think try and um, just advocate for each other so that it is a sustainable industry because it's really hard and you know the writer strike is showing that even in the states like the tv writing landscape has become not sustainable a writer sort of 15 years older than the one talking had been staffed on a show and with that had like bought a house and was like you know pretty set and now that like that the amount of money they would get on that thing barely lasts people a few months it's like and because of residuals and stuff. So it's all it's quite a lot of flux at the minute. And I, But I think the conversation is about like, because there is so much money being made. It's just like, where is it going? Oh, yeah. So you've started directing yourself as well, which it must be an interesting dynamic. So I'm, I'm intrigued to know how how that process went and what the differences was, what you learned and how your, your experiences of being a producer have helped you with that. Yeah, it's been a really good experience. I... I've learned a lot. Um, I think um, I also was co-directing, so we and me and my co-director had like slightly different experiences, and so I think we fed into each other a lot. Like she had theatre and acting background, so I was learning a bit more for, from her. I think in terms of how to work with actors, and she was maybe learning more from me from the film stuff. I've done. I think firstly, I've yeah, I've, I've become acutely aware of that, like the differing pressures, and like how you know those sleepless nights of like, oh my god, is this actually any good? and how that is all on the director um, i really enjoyed it and um it's a it's a again it's like a different buzz when you're shooting of like it's very physical and it's like completely non-stop and like really focused on the thing in front of you um which is great i've enjoyed post a lot more because i think as a producer you're kind of in and out and it becomes just very technical and like it's really fun when you watch cuts and grades and stuff and give notes but a lot of the time you're just doing paperwork and file deliveries and stuff and it can be quite laborious but as a director when you're like in the detail of it, it's really really fun you know you can 
often write and produce at the same time quite easily. Um, it's it's something where I'd be even more picky. I sort of see it now like as a like um, a pyramid of like, you know, at the bottom producing, I can like t- do pro- any sort of project that I just enjoy, but it, it's not like I have to have any specific skill set in that genre or personal connection. I can just, as long as I can make it happen and support the the team, I can do it. And then with writing, it gets a little bit smaller because it's like, I do have to feel that I'm bringing something to it in, in my voice and that I can, I can be so in it and committed to it that I like love it like that. And the direction is like even smaller of like, what, what's the thing that I would write, but I don't want to give it to somebody else because there's still be lots of stuff I'd write and give to somebody else. So yeah, that's been, it's been really interesting. And, and, and you know, cause you, cause you are a writer when you're on a project just as a producer solely, do you, you know, talking about that multi-hyphenate thing that people, that people might not like, do you, do you, do you stay in your lane? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think, and Steph, who I run Erebus with is a writer as well. And we both, I think so far we found that writers like it um, because we are also at the receiving end of notes. So the way that we give them is with that in mind. Um, and we give our insights, but we always want to, for a while I was, I was worried that people would think, oh, are they going to, you know, put their writers out on when they shouldn't. But actually I think we're less at risk of doing that because we do it, we have outlets for it. I think actually it's probably more likely that sometimes if if there are producers who don't have that creative outlet of their own writing or whatever, might try and feed it into some that when I mean, lots of them won't at all. Mm-hmm. But as in I think because we we're not we don't need to do that because we've got we're we're putting our voice into other things. So what we want to do is just make other people's voices the best version that they can be. Um right. yeah. What were the things or like what was the key point which tipped the features that you've worked on? What tipped them over the edge into getting greenlit, if there's any commonality there? I do kind of like, um, it's sort of like giving birth. It's kind of like there's a point at which you like just get, it's it's, it's happening. You can't stop it. It's kind of just like moving and you're just like waiting for the, the, the waters to break or whatever. And I think it's um, it's often... Like I was saying at the very beginning of that dance about like actors want finance, finance want actors. Mm. That sort of, that's the place that you get to where you've got some bites on both sides and then you're just, because of maybe, um, maybe there's a window of availability for an actor and you're going to lose them if you don't shoot in that window. Then suddenly everything sort of comes in line to make that happen. I mean, it, it's often timing. Do you know what? I think that is a common thing because it's like, it's either an actor or... A film we shot, um, film we shot last year where we had to shoot in a school for four weeks. So it had to be the summer holidays mm. because it was an empty school. And again, that was like, right, we have to hit this window. And then suddenly like everything kind of falls into place. Yeah. It's, I think it's sometimes like having just this, the, the urgent thing where it's like, it has to be now. Mm. Um, obviously you need to have, you need to have a ton of elements in place already. But that's when you can kind of just like push everyone to be like, no, this is happening now. And we have to, you know, move mountains to make it work. And the director has to be prepped, has to have all that stuff ready. Yeah, like you need, at that point, you need your script to be ready. Obviously, you'll tweak a bit in prep, but like fundamentally, the script's been ready. You need to have most of your finance. Um, and you need to have most of your cast. But there is, there's always like, 
the parts that you, you're casting last minute. Um, there's always little bits of money sometimes that you're negotiating last minute. You want to have the locked dates, really, because that's what, if you don't have anything meaning it has to be a specific time, it does often happen that it just keeps getting kicked back and back and back. Um, so I do, I think sometimes, and the, and those things can happen organically. Sometimes they say, this is my window, some, something else has come up. Um, it can be helpful, but you can't like plan it. Maybe, maybe just make it up. <laughs> You're like, it's, it's only got our window. I don't know. But, but normally it just sort of happens organically and, um, you're forced your hand is forced it has to like go put the the rocket up people's asses to to get shit yeah exactly yeah. yeah no amazing well thank you so much for that that's that's super enlightening and i'm sure people are going to take so much from it and just de- like it de- demystifies the whole process um yeah i'm sure we could talk for another few hours and you've probably just for the listeners we probably noticed that we haven't gone into like Helen's journey and her background because that's already available on a podcast right yes Marcus? yeah so there's the filmmakers podcast which I listened to the other the other, the other week and um it it has Helen's entire sort of journey into the industry covered so it didn't feel like there was any point in us covering that here uh, so go reference that it's great uh, a week in the life because I think we touched on earlier about how slow sometimes it feels when you're kind of like doing the projects, but you kind of, as you saw with your intro, like um, when you see people's wins, it seems massive, but actually the process between getting those is really, really slow. So yeah, I was wondering what your week has looked like this week, Helen. Well, actually there's a, a film that I co-wrote that you mentioned um, last film, which is uh, in prep. So this week's been there's been quite a lot of meetings and uh, like script finessing because the shoot is around the corner. Um, is this the next so, breakout one? No, the other one. The other one. Okay. <laughs> the other film. The other film. And it's a really nice team. And so it's been a lot of like going into the production office and um, tweaking the script according to things that have come up in terms of locations or whatever. And lots of Zoom meetings, polishing uh, a draft of something dealing with school strikes and mm. <laughs> trying to uh navigate being yeah you know, work working and kids and and occasionally trying to watch a bit of tv or go to cinema like i did last night um so yeah this week's been and uh, this week's been fun because it's like the excited energy of a thing that's about to shoot yeah that's very cool and how about you Oz? Um, my week has been dominated by problems with my car, so I had to then use this app to hire another one, uh, which was pretty cool, actually. I was like, there must be an app where I can just, in 2023, just go on it and immediately hire a car. I didn't know that existed. And there is. Within, like, four hours, I was driving someone else's car. <laughs> um, and it's called Car Share. It's kind of like a bit of a nugget of the week, I guess, but it's called Car Share. And it's literally like you put where you are and then it, and, and what, and then it'll tell you what, what cars are available. It's a bit like Airbnb. It's a bit like uh, Just Park for driveways. Like it's like that. Wow. And as long as you li- your driving license, everything checks out, you can. And like, obviously, I just went through the filter and did uh, low price to high price. And I just found the cheapest car that was on there. And it was a, a 2017 Suzuki. So I just got that. And then I had to go to London. So I just, and you get a mileage allowance on it. And it was really, be- it was better than my own car on petrol. Wow. Like, great. That's good to know. Um, and yeah, for, for me, my, my week has, has been, um, I'm, I'm shooting a short next week, next month um, with Disney at NFTS. So I've been like storyboarding a week um, and 
trying to feed back on the creation of this weird alien being. Um, yeah. And then last night I managed to get out and watch um, Bo is Afraid as well, like the UK nice. sort of like Q&A thing at Central Pitch House, which was very fun. So, yeah, it was all. Do you like it? Uh, I can't even answer that question. Like, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones where like, I think, I think um, I was talking to Oz about this. It's a bit like, I oh, know, so I'm my producer. Um, it's a bit like Bardo, if you've seen Bardo by Inaritu. Um, it's on Netflix and it's like three hours long and it's basically him kind of using all of his filmmaking techers to like create a stream of dreams. Um, it's a okay. bit like that, but it's just an extended odyssey, but it's more watchable because it's comedic elements are pretty strong. Performance is great. Um, it's just, it's just batshit. Like you, <laughs> it's, it's weirder than any of his other films, like for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, Can't it's, wait. yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching in the cinema. <laughs> cool, and yeah, we also do a nugget of the week. Uh, we consume so much, so we like to throw that back out. So, what what has inspired you this week, Helen? Can I do two nuggets? Yeah, one for the first hour, one for the second hour. Um, so one is a quote that I saw on Instagram, and I don't know who wrote it, but the sentiment I would uh, steal, um, it's basically that. Uh, art doesn't have to be um depressing that there is like real value in happy feel good fun art and i think i just really love that as a sentiment because i think sometimes there's a bit of a hierarchy of like what is like true art or true cinema or like the best tv and it's like actually the like stuff that makes you happy is just as important and does mm. such an important service to everyone's life so um yeah, I just like that and thought just a, just a thing for directors and writers, yeah. producers to remember that like if you want to make a comedy that's as valuable as a searing drama. Um, and then I also listened to, because um, I really like him on the radio, I listened to a podcast with Greg James. I think it was How to Fail. We went to school in the town I went to school in, so he was like lots of references of um, things that I recognised, but he just talked a lot about how it's he wanted to be a cricketer and then he sort of transitioned into radio and like sort of how life can hand you these things where you go in a direction that you didn't think you would go on but actually that was where you were meant to be kind of like what you were saying before about the timing and like and about how he feels like in life he's never kind of fitted in one like place or type of person or type of environment but that that served him because he's a bit of an observer Mm. and I think that's often a really good quality for directors um, and writers is to be an observer and to sort of even if you feel like you're a bit on the sidelines sometimes in life that's really that can be a good thing because it feeds the stuff you make so yeah okay great love that how about you Oz Um, my nugget of the week is Unreal Engine Um, because I shot a commercial earlier on in the week that was a week in the life of another podcast episode we did this week uh, we used Unreal Engine for, I used Unreal Engine for the first time for animatics and it, it was so brilliant because when we did the recce we scanned the room like the DP scanned the room and then we put that into 3D space into Unreal Engine and then I just knew where to place the cameras and that is exactly what I shot mm. and I was I wasn't mind blown because I know the technology but I'd never actually used it um, so I was just fortunate enough that the DP I was working with uses it all the time and he's, he's a bit of a pro with it so Unreal Engine for animatics yeah. It saved time and effort on set and made the producer very happy. 
because we weren't being indecisive. Nice. Marcus? Love that. Um, and mine, yeah, mine ties into my uh, my my week in the life as well. And that uh, it's been thrown out that A24 podcast with Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix. Um, it's obviously just PR spin, obviously. But what's interesting about it is that they kind of call each other out once once for like Ari for like when he approached Joaquin and <laughs> Joaquin had a bit of a meltdown on set and then they kind of like throw it back at Ari for also having a meltdown so um it's it's nice to hear people who are high up at the highest level crying and breaking down because of how difficult <laughs> the whole thing is because you're like all right it, yeah that's just what it is um and as well as that it's super insightful so yeah I'd, I'd just say go and check that nice. out. it's very cool awesome I think that's it I think that concludes the episode cool thank you so much Helen pleasure super illuminating massively if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you we want to shape this as a resource for you so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram which is the director's take podcast and we're also on Twitter at director's take and where can people find you Helen um on Twitter uh, at Helen Simmons 8 um, so yeah thank you for all of the engagement we've been getting on social so far it's been super helpful um, and the feedback's been amazing so keep sharing keep getting the word out even further and if you really like the show then leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from because it, it all helps so until next time keep learning keep failing and keep the faith